welcome back to the Food as Medicine Show with Dr. Ann, the place to be for real talk with real people and real results so you can heal yourself naturally. I'm your host, Dr. Ann, and I'm a board-certified pharmacist and health coach specializing in treating cholesterol without medications. And you can learn more about me at drann.com, spelled A-N-H as in healthy. It's the beginning of April, and I'm really excited because at the end of the month, I will be traveling to Austin for the Paleo FX conference for the first time. And I've live streamed this conference for the past two years because I couldn't travel due to my work schedule. So I'm really looking forward to experiencing in person this year and eating all the good food and um, meeting all the great people that are there. So if you're planning to be there, please, please let me know and we can meet up. And I'd love to meet any of you who uh, are listeners in person. I, I think that'd just be so cool. Now, I also want to get your feedback on something. You know, we are coming on this second uh, month of the show's existence. And as I stated at the beginning, it's my intention that we launch with three episodes per week on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule because I've got a lot of pre-recorded interviews saved up. But then at the end of the month, at the end of April, I want to scale down to once per week on Mondays because I still work a full-time job. And at that time, I'll have um, gone through all of the pre-recorded interviews. So I want to hear from you. I want to know if you like the three-day week schedule because, you know, if I hear overwhelming uh, feedback that you guys like that, then I will do my best and I will get my my team on board and um, help me with um, doing and keeping up the three-day week schedule. Now, if also, if you have suggestions for who to bring on the show or what you'd like to learn more about, then let me know because I will do my best to get them on the show. And the best way to get a hold of me or to respond to any of these uh, questions that I have is to hop on my email list at dranne.com, A-N-H as in healthy, and respond to the first email that I send you. Before we get to today's show, I want to remind you that the opinions expressed on this show may not represent my opinions. And the show is for general information only, not a substitute for medical care. So before beginning any new health program, I recommend that you consult with a qualified health professional. So in today's episode, I have a treat for you. I'm interviewing Abel James. He is the number one best-selling author, entrepreneur, musician, and host of the wildly popular number one rated fat-burning man show. And he's got quite possibly the best-looking six-pack abs on iTunes. So... As the author of The Wild Diet, Abel brings ancestral, paleo, and real food principles to the mainstream. He's conducted research studies, presentations, and speaking engagements for Fortune 500 companies, Ivy League institutions, and the federal government. He's also one really smart cookie. Abel completed high school and college in a total of just six years. He was the valedictorian at New Hampton School and earned his AB degree from Dartmouth College. He graduated as a senior fellow with honors with a concentration in psychological and brain sciences. Now, if that wasn't enough, Abel is also a professional musician. He's a singer-songwriter and the author of the best-selling musical Brain. uh, Abel James has toured North America and Europe as the band leader of several award-winning groups, one of which you might have heard on uh, the sing-off called the Dartmouth Airs. So in today's episode, Abel and I chat about how he did everything right when it comes to his nutrition and it still didn't work for him, what he did differently that got him the body and the results that he wanted, using the paleo diet as a template to achieve your health goals, why he eats weeds and why you should too, how to break through a weight loss plateau, and intermittent fasting and how it works. All right, let's go chat with Abel. Welcome, Abel, to the show. How are you? 
I'm doing awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, yeah thanks for taking the time to join us. Um, why don't we just dive right in? Um, I'd love for the audience to hear your story and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I was always interested in health to some degree. My mom actually uh, is a naturopathic nurse practitioner, really into alternative medicine. And so I was raised eating the weeds. And whenever I got sick, it was always like the natural path was the first one that we went down. And so I had all sorts of stinky bombs and tinctures and echinacea and fun stuff like that as I was growing up. And so I always had this appreciation of kind of the connection with plants and the healing powers of foods. Uh, and so I went down the vegetarian path for a while and um, started really counting macronutrients a lot and looking at calories and the different levels of um, nutrients that I was getting from mostly supplements or like boxed foods, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I out that, that that's not really the best way to do it. <laughs> and so, well, and it's um, tedious counting macronutrients. It's very tedious, and it got to the point where every time I was going to the doctor, once I hit my 20s, um, I had higher blood pressure, my biomarkers were worse, and I was putting on weight and like getting sicker and sicker, and I was focusing on, I was, I was doing a job in strategy consulting, and uh, so that was taking up a lot of my time. I was working really hard. wasn't focusing on my health quite as much, but eating really low fat, restricting calories, and like I said, gaining weight, and it all came to a head when one night... I came home and um, my apartment building was up in a 30-foot wall of flames and <laughs> we lost everything. And so oh, like, no. yeah, like it was just a crazy, crazy time because I was still working full-time trying to get everything back in order and literally all I had were the clothes on my body. And so I felt like my whole life was spinning out of control. I needed something to, to really focus on. Um, and at that time, my health was going downhill. I was gaining weight. I was uh, I started getting kidney stones, couldn't sleep at night. My face started getting really inflamed. It was pretty rough. So I, I figured and with this everything else. This is in your else, 20s, right? Yeah, early yeah. 20s. So I figured if everything else is out of my control in my life, I might as well just focus on my health and really get that um, under control and kind of have it be a little pet project. So I spent the next few years really researching everywhere I could about the secrets of um, how to eat well, how to live well. Uh, and actually eating for health and performance. And so I was looking in bodybuilding forums and research medical journals. <laughs> yeah. And dabbling in the fringes. And, and basically what I found is that everything that my conventional doctor was telling me to do was the opposite of what I should be doing. And that those were even the things that were causing me to gain mm -hmm. weight and have all these health issues. So I started, I fired my doctor and started doing the opposite. And then, uh, man, it, it, things changed quickly and I got healthy fast. It was amazing. It's amazing that you say that. The whole, oh, you restricted calories and you ate low fat and it didn't work. And you know what? That's what traditional medicine tells us, right? Yeah. Um, so tell us more about that. You know, what did you do differently that worked for you? So I was always uh, the guy who ate low fat. I was like really into looking at my food and being healthy. And what that meant to me was getting as low fat as possible, as low cholesterol, low saturated fat, low salt, which, um, which basically inherently means that you need to eat a lot of carbs just to get the amount of energy that your body needs to function. And so mm -hmm. I, was, I needed to eat every like two hours or else I was angry and you know <laughs> felt just like I needed to, to tear food apart. And uh, it was 
it was rough. I was basically, you know, your brain is primarily made up of fat and I was starving my brain of, of necessary nutrients. So what I did is I, I did a hardcore shift into eating lots of fat and reducing the carbs um, as well as focusing on, on nothing but real food. Um, and it sounds kind of woo-woo that there's life in your food, right? And that you should try to, to extract that life and, and become that energy, right? Like that sounds bit. totally woo-woo. It's a little woo-woo, yes. <laughs> but at the same time, if you're eating nothing but um, microwaved lean cuisine or whatever, mm -hmm. like that food is dead. It's been dead for a long time. What that means is that it doesn't really have any nutrients in it. So if you want to believe in like the life force of food, you can do that. Or if you just like think about eating something that's fresh out of the ground, that's going to have a heck of a lot more that your body can use than something that's just been dead in a freezer for a year and a half or whatever. <laughs> so focusing on real food is another thing that I, that I really started doing and getting some huge positive health effects a few years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, that totally makes sense because I don't think it's woo at all because here's the thing. You know, with vegetables um, and proteins, when you cook them, you denature them, right? You fry yep. up and you change the structure of them, and mm -hmm. then you lose some of the enzymes and the minerals. Um, and even, say, when you boil water and you boil your vegetables in water and you're pouring off that stuff, that the greenness, you're pouring yeah. off of the vitamins and minerals that's in the food. So. Right. I mean, totally. Um, actually, I just spoke to somebody um, on the show. He's a pharmacist, and he recommends eating raw vegetables about 30 40% of the time because yeah. the way food is grown in America today, it's it's lost about 40% of its nutrients. So when you eat it raw, you're more likely to get more nutrients into your body. Right. Yeah, and I, I'm a huge advocate of that, especially being a vegetarian for a long time. I, I definitely get my veggies pretty much every day and recommend that other people do the same. Yeah. Well, and you said something that was interesting to me that it was kind of counterintuitive because you said, okay, you were eating high carbs for a while and you were getting hungry every two hours, which I, I totally agree with you. When I eat carbs, I don't feel full at all. But you said, I, would th I thought you were going to say, oh, then I added more protein in my diet and that was perfect. But you said you added more fat because yeah. from what I understand, the brain's main source of energy is glucose, right? So, and then people think, well, if I add fat, I'm going to get fat. So what's your rationale for that? So I I wish that in the English language, fat had a different name, you know, <laughs> like because when you eat fat, it doesn't translate into getting fat. In fact, when you eat carbs, that often translates into getting fat because what, what most people don't um, really realize, just because no one ever talks about it in conventional media or magazines or whatever, well, as soon as you eat something, it's transformed by your body. It's digested. So when you eat carbs, they're actually, they, they turn into fat and protein turns into sugar. And uh, it, it's a very complicated process. So when you just try to think about the calories that you're eating or, or just the carbs that you're eating, you're not really getting the whole picture. So it's really important that you focus on getting nutrients from your food and also not just like focusing on the calories or the micronutrients, but what is this food doing to my blood sugar? What is it doing to my hormones? And so uh, eating lots of fat like fat is, is the most benign macronutrient that there is. If you eat too much protein, it can, um, it can be turned into glucose uh, through a process called gluconeogenesis. Yep. Carbohydrates can easily um, skyrocket your blood sugar if you have too many of them or the wrong kinds. Um, fat, if you're eating the right kind of fat, which is natural ones, like grass-fed butter, avocados, um, and, and anything else that 
isn't manipulated by man or machine, um, generally it's taken into the body and used readily for energy, especially if you're used to burning fat. So sometimes it can be a shift. Actually, I'm, I'm training a bodybuilder right now who's used to eating lots of carbs, lots of protein, and very little fat. Um, I'm training him right now on a high-fat diet and a low cyclical carb diet, and he's actually getting into ketosis. And he just lost nine pounds in his first week, um, wow. and he's already down to single-digit body fat, which is pretty impressive stuff. So you don't need to, um, you know, be chugging sports drinks all the time, even if you're an athlete. There are different ways to do it, um, and if you look at the ancestral template, which is something that I follow, and we can get into that um, if you'd like to, Anne. Yeah. And there's really like the fact that most people are eating carbs and so many of them today is is historically and from an evolutionary perspective completely unprecedented. Well, let's just dive right into it. Talk more about paleo and ancestral health and why that has worked for you and for thousands and thousands of other people. Sure. It it makes more sense as a template than a diet. You know, it's okay. it's not really a diet, it's a way of looking at how our nutrition should be structured. So what that means is before the advent of agriculture and especially before the advent of modern food processing practices, there were some foods available uh, to eat as humans and there are other ones that just weren't, like fake foods weren't really available. <laughs> um, and, and so what it meant is that we were primarily eating out of necessity more than anything else, plants, um, nuts and seeds, uh, and animal foods. And we, we weren't really eating, since this is before agriculture, um, we weren't really eating grains or many legumes. Uh, there are some exceptions there, but for the most part, we weren't really eating that much sugar either or that much fruit. It was a very seasonal thing. So when you look at the macronutrients, how that breaks down is it's we're getting most of our calories from fat um, and then quite a few from protein and then some from carbs. And that kind of varies by the season and uh so if you look at that for a way to structure a diet today, it's pretty similar from a macronutrient perspective. Mostly fat, um, a fair amount of protein, but not too much, and then some amount of carbs. Um, so what a lot of people think when they first hear paleo, paleo, they, they're just like, well, I don't want to eat meat all the time. I, don't, <laughs> I can't eat that much meat. And that's really not what it's about. Um, the people think that it's like Atkins on steroids or whatever, and that's really not what it is. Um, I could see why people would think that because it mm -hmm. does imply that you would be eating some animal foods, but I think that that's kind of a responsible thing to think. As humans, we're designed to um, to digest and use animal foods uh, from healthy animals anyway in a very mm -hmm. health healthful way. It's something that we're designed to do, as well as eating plenty of veggies uh, and fruits. So uh, it's, it's not quite as bizarre as most people make it out to be. <laughs> so you mean my favorite Cheerios in the morning wasn't what the ancestors ate back then? Not so much, unfortunately. <laughs> as, as good as Honey Nut Cheerios are. <laughs> so, okay, one thing I'm always a little confused about when I think about paleo is you're talking about the fats, right? So, yep. and you talk about good fats versus bad fats. Can you tell us a little bit more about what should we be eating in terms of good fats then? Sure. So... There's something called the lipid hypothesis, which is basically that that's what has allowed us to fear fat for the past few decades. Um, the thing is, when you eat saturated fat or when you eat cholesterol, it doesn't translate to, um, to bad biomarkers in your body. So, for example, if you eat cholesterol in eggs or in heavy cream, 
uh, or in some other form of dairy. If you eat that, it doesn't translate to having high cholesterol in your blood. Um, similar with fat, if you eat lots of fat, it doesn't make you fat necessarily. Um, and, and so when I talk about good fats, I'm talking about getting as close to the source, making it as fresh and as natural in the true sense of the word, not in the marketing sense of the word, as possible. And so the, the fats that, that I prioritize that work really well for me and a lot of other folks are animal fats like grass-fed butter, um, heavy cream. If you can get raw, that's, that's really the best. But if you can get low-temperature pasteurized, that's okay too. Um, avocados, palm oil, if it's unrefined, the red kind, it's, it's not as hard to find as most people think it is. Coconut oil. Uh, is another great one. And for all of these, it's uh, you want to get as unrefined, as non-high temperature processed as possible. You want it as close to a raw state in most cases as you can get. Uh, let's so see. So like cold temperatures is better? Generally, like, yeah. Because there's, the more the, that, sorry, there's, go ahead. there's uh, olive oil that you can get that's like mm -hmm. low temperature pressed, I think. So that's yeah. better? So yeah, generally with most of those oils, uh, and anything else for that matter, the more it's processed um, chemically or with temperature or anything else, the less your body recognizes at food. And so when you, as food, so when you eat something like trans fat, which has been um, artificially created through mm -hmm. science, it's not something that, that really exists in nature, your body consumes it and then it just wreaks all sorts of havoc because it's been chemically altered and your body doesn't know what to do with it. So anytime that you do that with a food, when you superheat it or pasteurize milk, for example, it, it destroys not only the bad bacteria, but the good bacteria, which your body needs to digest it, as well as the enzymes, which help your body digest that food. So that's one of the reasons that um, raw dairy, for example, is much better tolerated by most people than high temperature pasteurized, homogenized dairy. And you might hear, you know, <laughs> If you know anything about paleo, most paleo folks don't focus on dairy, so it might be surprising to hear me talk about it. Yeah. My approach is a little bit more um, relaxed. It, it uses paleo and ancestral health as a template and then combines that with your own individual food sensitivities and allergies, which everyone has. Um, me personally, I don't have a negative reaction to most dairy foods, and so it's something that I incorporated into my habits um, and some other folks can do that too, but I do suggest that people either monitor the way that they feel after they eat a certain food, like dairy especially, um, mm -hmm. to see how they respond if they tolerate it. If you have any gas or bloating or just feel kind of lethargic after, it probably doesn't work that well for you. Um, but that's, that's one example of foods that can kind of be substituted in uh, and added to a paleo diet that, that can make it even more helpful or more enjoyable. Well, it sounds amazing. I mean, heavy cream would be great in a lot of recipes. Um, so I'm curious, when people try your uh, template, do they, um, do they do well with the dairy then? Yeah, so... Individualized. It's, it's really individualized, but most people... My brother's a good example of this. Um, he always had a hard time digesting traditional milk and mm -hmm. traditional cheese, um, but he's actually an organ... And this was growing up. He always had belly aches. He... And, and a lot of times that was coming from dairy or the grains that he was eating. Um, he's been an organic farmer in New Hampshire where we grew up for, uh, for years now. And in New Hampshire, it's pretty wow. easy to get. It's raw. in the family. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. <laughs> so uh, he's been eating 
raw dairy for and drinking raw dairy for a, a few years now without any problems. And so usually if folks have, have trouble with dairy, you know, you can be lactose intolerant, in which case I wouldn't recommend that you go drink any kind of milk. Um, but you can also just not tolerate crappy milk, <laughs> the, the stuff that's out there now that's super processed. Um, but if you go back to the natural source, then uh, a lot of people have more success. You can also uh, have something called ghee, which is basically butter with the milk solids removed, which can tolerate high temperature cooking, as well as if you react negatively to some of the proteins or the lactose in the milk, that isn't really included or it, it only has trace amounts. So a lot of people can tolerate ghee who wouldn't be able to tolerate um, butter or traditional dairy. So yeah. fermented dairy is, is usually better than non-fermented as well. So looking at cheese and yogurts and cottage cheese, things like that, usually tend to do better than traditional just milk. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, so I have a question for you. Like these foods that you're talking about sound really exotic, right? And then, for <laughs> example, for someone like me who lives in Iowa, I mean, where are we going to find this stuff? There's <laughs> this wonderful thing that we have now that we didn't know is called the Internet, which <laughs> just basically opens up the world to you. You can go on Amazon or okay. many other websites and find pretty much anything you want. Like from one thing that I do suggest people get if they can't um, get it locally is just, you know, high quality coconut oil. That's a great place to start or olive oil because these things are fairly shelf stable and they can survive mm -hmm. shipping. It's, um, it's a lot more difficult if you're in like a food desert to get <laughs> high quality um, veggies, especially mm -hmm. and, uh, and fruits as well. But there are a bunch of different options that that you can pursue if you'd like to have high quality food. You can have your own garden. Mm -hmm. um, you can get frozen foods, like if you get frozen organic, uh, flash frozen berries or other fruits like that, they, that can be pretty good in smoothies or in yogurt or just to eat as a snack. Um, you can do a similar thing with veggies, but it's really best to try to get it as close to just being pulled from the ground as possible. So in al almost anywhere you go in the US, you might have to put a little bit of work into it, um, but you can find a local organic farm of some kind. Um, a lot of places have something called CSAs, which are community-supported agriculture, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it makes it very easy. Like in Austin, we have this service called Greenling, which goes to a bunch of local farms and delivers that food to your door. And so like a lot of people don't, don't realize that this is out there, um, but if you look around and you just do a quick search on the internet, I'd be amazed if you didn't find some source of local great food. And this is really catching on in the past. The internet, like all, all joking aside, has really accelerated this whole process in the past five to 10 years. Farmers markets have exploded. Mm -hmm. People are being connected with, with farms and even like backyard growers. There are a few websites that, um, connect people who have backyard gardens with people who want to eat that food. Um, and it's, it's super cool. I mean, like this stuff is popping up all over the place. And so definitely if, if you think you're in the middle of nowhere and can't get any quality food, just hop on the internet and you can find almost anything. It's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I was just teasing. Where I live in Iowa, we do have a great farmer's market, but, you know, for the people who live maybe in Podunk, I don't know, uh, <laughs> North Carolina, it might be more difficult, but yeah. no, the internet is wonderful. Um, so let's talk about, uh, you talked about weeds, right? And you have a thing here, how, the, your philosophy behind eating weeds and why it, it can help. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So we're designed to eat a wide variety of things, seasonal, fresh things. And um, I, I grew up, like I said, in, in the backwoods of New Hampshire on an old farm property. And on that property, growing wild are strawberries, cranberries, we have apple trees, um, and then we have weeds. We have like so many of these things. <laughs> For example, I'm, I'm in Austin, Texas, and in my backyard when I moved in, there were these huge bushes, and I realized after I looked at them, for a little while, that that's all rosemary. It grows like weeds here, um, and a lot of other spices and um, and foods like that grow in different climates, right? So, just because something uh, grows like a weed doesn't mean that you can't eat it necessarily. In a lot of cases, you can. So, in New Hampshire, we'll go out in the field and and get milkweed and other things that are just shooting up everywhere, and that's free food. I mean, it doesn't get cheaper <laughs> than that, and it doesn't get fresher than that. So. Um, even though it sounds weird to be eating weeds, it's exactly what we're designed to do. It's it's food that the world is providing for us, and there are a bunch of great books about how to eat weeds or eat things that grow naturally in your environment. That's really what your body is designed to do, eat fresh foods that grow naturally. And, uh, of course, you can't just go out and eat anything, but if you're educated about which foods you can and can't eat, um, it can be really cool. I was going to say, well, I mean, can you just, I'm sure there's some that are bad for you, right? So how do you know oh, yeah. and where do you go to find out which weeds are edible and safe to eat? So this is more of like a fun, advanced strategy. I wouldn't recommend the beginners like start out there. <laughs> okay. But um, like I said, there, there are a bunch of field guides. One thing that my folks are doing now in New Hampshire is really getting into hunting down mushrooms. And so every time I go there, we have a new, cool, different kind of mushroom. And that's also something you don't want to do as a beginner because there are bad <laughs> mushrooms that you can eat. You can die um, from. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely die from. But yeah, if you want to get started with, uh, with searching for food that's around you, whether it's on your own property or maybe on a friend's or a local farm, um, the best way to do it is to find someone who's knowledgeable. Like most local farmers know what you can and can't eat. Um, as well as there are so many books out there about um, scavenging for wild foods that, that I would encourage you to check out too. Is there one in particular that you like? I've read a, a whole bunch of them, and, and most of them are pretty good. I mean, you can just get a field guide. Like a lot of those, <laughs> I'm a, I geek out on the survival field guides and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and I, I can't remember what the name of it is, but I just got it last week. That's that's a great resource, but most of them, to be perfectly honest, that I've found um, cover off on that stuff pretty well. It's not difficult. It's just like having great pictures combined with a description of, of what that food is. Um, and, and that's it's a solid resource when you have Pictures it. are helpful because sometimes you're like, okay, I'm not sure based on the description if this is yeah. what I can eat or not. <laughs> yeah, especially if you've ever seen In the Wild or read the book, Into the Wild. Yeah. Um, you don't want to start eating the wrong things. That, that can be that can be bad news. So keep it as a as a fun advanced strategy to keep yourself interested. But just start by eating real food that you find at like the farmers market or um, or the organic section of your section of your local grocer. Yeah, I totally love to go mushroom hunting. Um, I know I work in a pharmacy and I had a patient come in. He was selling a couple miles um, west of us. He finds great morels. Like, oh. oh wow. <laughs> so um, I'm like, take me sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so getting back to your um, bodybuilder that you're training right now, right? Did he come to you because he was having trouble um, losing fat? Is he? I mean, he's going for a show, I'm assuming, right? Yes. So he. Um, He's a friend of mine, and 
he's always he, he's been a fitness model and uh, done other bodybuilding competitions but he's really interested in and what I've been doing because it's in many ways the opposite of what like a lot of bodybuilders do which is eating all those synthetic supplements using some illegal supplements sometimes eating lots of like whey proteins and soy protein sometimes and, and other kind of like synthetic fake foods um, and also really reducing their fat and so he saw what I've been able to do and like myself my own body composition a lot of people I work with for men like I'm able to stay usually in single digits or like 10, 11% body fat most of the time just by living and not training at all. And so he started kind of going <laughs> That's down That's like ideal. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is totally awesome and, uh, and easy if you keep your nutrition in, in the right spot. Now for him, um, we wanted to see, like he knows how to lean down if he wants to. And that's basically by eating nothing but plain chicken with a sweet potato with no fat three times a day for like four to six weeks. And he can lean down like that, but he's miserable and he hates it. And anyone would be. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's just not food. You're eating out of Tupperware all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so we're taking a different approach. And so far, he's only a week into it. But we're going to be writing some blog posts and he's doing some, uh, some webcam videos. It's going to be fun. We're tracking the whole process, both how he looks, um, you know, his different stats like body fat, his weight. Uh, as well as how he feels, because it's not always easy to switch over. In fact, a lot of times it's not easy at all to switch over from burning lots of carbs to burning lots of fat. But once you make that switch, you feel like a rock star. <laughs> hey, I want to feel like a rock star. So if somebody wants to track that, um, or your, your bodybuilder friend, is there a way we can you know, find out more about that? Yeah, the easiest way to find me um, for my nutrition and, and fitness stuff is fatburningman.com, which is right below my name, I guess, on the video. <laughs> Awesome. So they can find um, the videos you're talking about about your bodybuilder friend? They'll be up soon, yeah. Awesome. Oh, I can't wait to look at it. Because um, I'm actually, I don't know if you know, I'm, I'm training for my first natural bodybuilding competition. And awesome. as you mentioned, um, the challenge has been when I get to 10 weeks out, I just get so sick of the chicken and the sweet potatoes and yeah. the broccoli. It's like I can't do this. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm yeah, so you don't to have to see. torture yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be wonderful because that's what what that's what the show is about is you know mm -hmm. learning to eat um, healthy food that's delicious that's going to support your health goals. So um, awesome. So now tell me, okay, you have some expertise in terms of fat loss because you know your show is a fat burning man, right? If someone is doing really well and they well, actually, let's go back. If they want to start their journey on losing fat, what are some tips that you would recommend um, to get started to uh, start that fat-burning process? Okay. So number one is engineering your new habit and, and committing yourself to that new habit, right? Because it has to be a lifestyle change. Otherwise, you're just going to lose fat and then gain it back. Um, it, what's interesting is that losing fat is actually pretty easy, pretty straightforward. Um, the first thing that I re recommend people do is eat real food. Focus on anything that's in a box and certainly anything that has a list of ingredients that's, that's this long. I have a lot of posts about this. Don't eat it. If, if there's anything in the food that you can't pronounce or you don't know what it is, stay away from it. So mm -hmm. the first thing that I, that I encourage people to do is go through their house and all of the packaged cookies and, and grains and junk that they have lying around, especially the sugary stuff, just pack it up in a bag and donate it. Give it to a friend. Um, get it out of your way. Give it to a friend way. you don't like, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, 
Um, but just get it out of your kitchen or, or out of your space because if it's there, your brain, your subconscious knows that it's there. It's going to be pulling at you all day long, and willpower is is not the best way to um, to approach this at all. It's limited. It's mm -hmm. exhausting. What you really want to do is just eliminate that option altogether, and mm -hmm. instead replace it with um, with really delicious things. And um, and we talked before about what I had for dinner last night, and it was garlic rosemary lamb with uh, white wine, dino kale, and macadamias. And then uh, we also had Japanese sweet potatoes drenched in butter. And it was it followed up with chocolate. I mean, like, who wouldn't want to eat that way? It's, it's terrific. And so how much better is that than, like, having hamburger helper or whatever, whatever else, like, most people are having? Or, like, even going out to eat at a lot of these cheaper semi-fast food places mm – -hmm. It's loaded with chemicals and fake fats and, and all this junk. It's cheap food. Mm -hmm. So when you focus on really committing to eating real food, it, that's the biggest difference that most people can make right away. Um, and then when it comes to looking at macronutrients, and, and macronutrients for those of you folks who might not know are um, the, the building blocks of food, so fat, protein, and carbohydrates – when you start focusing on eating more healthy fats and fewer carbohydrates, that's when you're really going to encounter some, some serious fat loss. The easiest way to do that is by making a habit of adding fat to your foods. Like for your salad, for, for example, you can put olive oil on it, some cheese, um, some nuts, other things like that can, can up the, the energy content of your food and then also avoid grains, which even whole grains are not nearly as healthy. And in fact, they're, they're very unhealthy as most people think that they are. It's, uh, it's unfortunate how widespread the, the knowledge is or the misknowledge about like the health content of whole grains, because it's, it's really misplaced. It's just not like that. <laughs> so is like things like quinoa and millet, are those okay? Cause they're gluten free, but they're still so, grains, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, gluten is a huge problem for a lot of people. People who eat wheat regularly out-eat by 400 calories a day, people who don't eat wheat. Um, that's an enormous amount of food over the long term. That's, mm. um, that's a lot of food manufacturers know this, and that's why they add wheat to pretty much everything because they know that it stimulates the appetite. Um, so when you're looking at eating real food, you want to stay away from – um, most grains unless you're working out. The, the reason for that is that grains, as soon as they enter your body, whether it's millet or quinoa or anything that's gluten-free, um, rice, for example, when you eat it, it turns into sugar. And so if you eat it in any great quantity, it's going to spike, spike your blood sugar, which is bad news for pretty much everyone in any situation, <laughs> except for directly after a workout if you're looking to build muscle. That's like pretty much the only time that you can use carbs effectively and in a way that's like debatably healthy. But other than that, you want to limit them. So um, I, I do eat some amount of grains. My girlfriend, Allison, is wonderful in the kitchen. She makes plenty of gluten-free desserts, and they are terrific. And so I definitely enjoy those, but most of it is around um, the times when I'm most active and I don't eat it in great quantities. I, I try to keep my carbs, depending on my level of activity, between 50 and 150 carbs a day. Usually it's even below 
hundred. Um, you mean grams just, of carbs? What's that? You mean grams of carbs? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> grams of carbs. Yeah, that's really that's really small because actually when you know when I was training, a hundred grams of carbs is like nothing. Yeah. You know, it's mostly coming from your vegetables. Yeah, yeah, um, and you don't want to include fiber carbs there. Um, which are typically considered carbs on the nutritional facts of foods, but fiber is processed in a completely different way than sugar, for example. So mostly you want to avoid the high glycemic carbs like sugar or white rice without fat. You can, you can blunt the spike if you eat um, grains, for example. If you take white rice and you eat it with plenty of butter on it, it's going to blunt the, the sharp spike in your blood sugar. So that's some uh, one thing that you can do to kind of mitigate the negative effects of eating a carb-heavy food. Okay. So it sounds like you said to get started, one is to, to start eating real food, and then two is start to adjust your macronutrients where you're eating more protein and more fat and less carbs. Um, yep. Is there too much fat? I mean, can you be doing that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, <laughs> if you're chugging butter every day, then, okay, um, that doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most people don't do that. You can you can overeat anything if you okay, want to, yeah. but the thing is, fat is so filling that, um, like you said before, when you're eating carbs, they tend to make you hungry, right? Like mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how many how much sugar you eat. It's like you you could always eat more Oreos or more ice cream or junk like that, especially the low fat stuff. But when you eat really rich things like if you eat french food or uh you know cheese you don't you don't tend to binge on cheese like it doesn't really happen right or like binge on butter or olive oil this stuff is just it's too I rich can but binge if you, on peanut butter <laughs> yeah well that's true but it's usually usually um you wouldn't binge on the peanut butter that's only peanut butter right it's the it has salt in it or it has sugar in it and that's really what's kind of um, fueling that whole process. I know for me, one of my weaknesses is uh, tortilla chips, you know, like you get at a Mexican restaurant. Mm -hmm. And I found that if they're salty, then I can eat them all day. I love it. It's, it's delicious. They're terrible for you. And most of them are GMO and filled with toxins and all this stuff. Awful for you. But I found if they're not salted or they don't have enough salt, I'll like eat one and I'll be like, eh, that's kind of gross. Like I, I don't really want it. Oftentimes, the things that make foods binge-worthy are the additives, not the foods themselves. It's it's the salts and the uh, the sugars most of the time that'll fuel that process. Interesting. Yeah, actually, I got like natural peanut butter, and it had some flaxseed in it. I no, really? one, I had like one scoop. And I was like, "This is disgusting. I'm not eating it." <laughs> <laughs> so I went to my regular GIF. I'm like, "Okay, this is better, much better." Yeah. <laughs> but and I keep see in what mind, you mean. like. Yeah, traditional things like Jif are um, are highly processed, and mm -hmm. most foods that come out of the industrial system from food food manufacturers are designed so that you eat and thus buy as much of it as possible. Mm -hmm. And so they're designed to be addictive. They're designed to make you want to eat the whole jar or the whole bag. But when you go to you know, like raw almond butter, for example, you'll have a little bit and be like, wow, that's really rich. Or maybe it needs a little bit of salt, but you can control how much you put in there. You can make your own cookies. And that's what I encourage people to do. It's, it's more fun. You know what's in it and it's way better for you. Yeah. So tell me about, um, okay, if you're 
you're implementing those strategies and you're losing fat um, and you're losing weight, there comes a point when you're going to plateau, right? Uh, sure. How do you bust through that plateau? Um, if it's with eating, what I recommend is that people stick with it. Um, the body, it's, it's such a complicated system. Science tries to pretend <laughs> that it understands. We really don't have a great grasp yeah. of, of, of how our bodies work at all. I mean, you know that as well as anyone, <laughs> um, having studied it for a while. I mean, so, yeah, when you're, when you're having great results, this happens often. You know, people will lose, typically when they reduce carbs and focus on eating healthy fats in the first week, it's not uncommon, especially for men, to lose five to 10 pounds in the first week. And a lot of that, it's not all fat. A lot of it's water. You're expelling that. Um, and so, then over the course of time, you know, they'll lose like 30 pounds in the first month. They're like, wow, this is awesome. And then they don't lose anything for, you know, a month, maybe two month, months. But what can happen during that time, what often is happening is your body's making other changes. Uh, like many things are happening behind the scenes. So what I encourage people to do is even when they hit that plateau is to stick with it. Like there's no reason to um, abandon what you're doing, like, and start eating junky food again, because that, that's definitely not going to work. Mm -hmm. You know, certain people have, have different set points. There are strategies that you can use to break through them. Um, my, my colleague, Mark Sisson always talks about, uh, Oprah as an example, you know, she's just her natural body type is not one that's going to be pencil thin. And she's like, you've seen her body yo-yo over the yeah. years. And, and the reason for that is when you, whenever you restrict, it's not, like I said, it's not usually hard to lose fat, but what's difficult is making it a lifestyle change and a, a lifelong habit. So when you restrict for too long, the pendulum goes like this, you know, uh, as your body makes adaptations, if you restrict calories too much for too long, and all of a sudden it's, it's storing fat from a fewer amount of calories. And so that can happen. What you really want to do is, uh, is find something that you're going to be able to do for the rest of your life. Um, eat foods that you enjoy, um, but eat them in a way that allows you to maintain uh, a healthy weight. So a lot of times when people hit plateaus, they're actually making progress. They just need to keep, keep doing it. And there are, of course, little tweaks that you can do. But um, the last thing that I want is for people who have seen success, say that same person lost 20 or 30 pounds in the first month, then hasn't encountered anything for them to give up and like regain that way. Cause that happens like 90% of the time. And it's just so tragic and so terrible because mm -hmm. this stuff works and it's not difficult. You just need to make it a lifestyle habit. Yeah. And I just, to give you an example, I mean, when I was bodybuilding, um, I was tracking my progress and you know, as a girl, it's really, um, <laughs> this emotional roller coaster. If you get on and you sure. measure yourself, and you're like, okay, 124.5, and then tomorrow, 124.5, and it just doesn't change. But over yeah. a six-week period, I only dropped one pound, but I dropped 6% body fat. Yeah, you know? and that's, so that's, that's a very important. good point. Yeah, that happens all the time to people. Like, you can look at, at someone. Actually, when I was overweight, I was about, like, at, at a certain point, the same weight as I am now. Like, I'm about 168. But my body composition was completely different. I mean, if you look at pictures of me, I had like a gut and my face was all fat and I looked terrible. Um, but now I'm exactly the same weight 
but my body composition is completely different. And so that's often, that's a great point. That happens behind the scenes all the time with people, male or female. Um, so that's one of the reasons that I, that I encourage people to judge it by the way, judge their progress by the way that they look and they feel and the way that their clothes fit, not exactly. some random number that's on a scale. Exactly. Awesome. Now, okay, you, you, in your thing, you talked about um, carb cycling, right, earlier on. So when you use carb cycling as a strategy to improve your body composition, um, what are some strategies or tips you have for that? So like I said before, you can, you can use carbs to help yourself build muscle and, and even lose fat. And so one thing that I do is carb cycling, nutrient cycling, calorie cycling, all this stuff. Basically, on the days that I'm training or have high activity, if I go for a run or uh, if I'm lifting or I do Krav Maga, which is self-defense, and so I'll go to classes of that. If, if it's a high activity day, I'll tend to eat more calories, especially directly after the workout. Uh, that's a great time to eat carbs because what carbs do are spike your blood sugar and your insulin. So if you have a little bit of that, um, insulin is a storage uh, hormone. So basically what it does is um, tells your body to store fat or store uh, nutrients in your muscle so it can actually help you build muscle. So if you eat carbs directly after a workout and you get a little boost of insulin, it's going to help you recover um, and you're going to be storing nutrients in your muscles that are being broken down when you work out and then rebuilt following that. So you want to make sure that you fuel that correctly. On the days that you're not training, um, if you're just sitting around or you're on a long car ride or you're just taking a, a little bit of rest, then you want to under-eat carbs and maybe even under-eat calories. So that's something that I tend to do on a, on a weekly or even daily basis. You want to scale your carbs, scale your energy intake based on your activity. Um, what most people do is just overeat most of the time. They, they gain weight. When and then they, they don't work out. Yeah, and they don't work out. And so, I mean, that's that's just what happens. But if you think about it, it really makes a lot of sense. You should be eating more when you're using your body more. And so um, it's, it's really a simple concept that some people, you know, science absolutely backs a lot of this stuff, but you don't need to be a biochemist to understand that your body can more readily utilize the nutrients it's getting and the excess energy that it's getting when you're working out than when you're not. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what are some of the carbs that you're eating then when you're doing uh, a high-carb day? Okay, so um, I, I generally don't have, and I should say this, it's not like a high-carb day, but it's higher than it otherwise would be. And so when you, um, when you cut out most grains, and you especially you cut out the toast and the pasta and stuff like that and the sugar, um, you don't... Oh, my Italian friends are not going to like you. <laughs> <laughs> but they'll feel a heck of a lot better. And I eat a lot of Italian food. I just don't eat typical pasta, which is totally different than... Um, the pasta that they used to be eating generations ago, unfortunately. Do you use those shirataki noodles by chance? I do, yeah. Okay. I, I, I like those from time to time. They're so different. My, they, they're different, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, my carb sources tend to be uh, rice. Uh, sometimes it'll be brown, sometimes it'll be white, but it's, it's never in great quantities, and it's usually consumed with um, an acid, which can also help blunt the spike to blood sugar. Uh, so that could be like vinegar or uh, a fat, and often I'll have it with both. So um, butter or some sort of oil over the top. Not industrial seed oil like canola, but a natural fat, either from animals or from vegetable sources. 
Um, sweet potatoes are another great one. White potatoes um, can be good, although they, they tend to spike blood sugar more than, uh, than sweet potatoes. And aside from that, I, I guess I'm not really talking about greens and other veggies like that too much, just because I don't really, those are non-starchy carbohydrates um, and they're more fibrous, so I don't even like count those. You can eat basically as much of those as you want to, as much kale or as much spinach as you want to, and it's not going to affect your levels of carbs that you're eating. It's not like people don't tend to get fat from eating too much kale. It's just, <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I suggest don't. that they don't worry about it. So some starchy tubers, like uh, uh, like I'll have yams or sweet potatoes or uh, or other sorts of potatoes. A lot of times I'll have heirloom varieties, which is the old variety before, um, <laughs> basically before agriculture futzed with the food itself. Well, um, I think so heirloom can... is like a word for, it doesn't look very pretty. <laughs> yeah, well, that's I bought heirloom true. tomatoes, I'm like, what? These look awful. <laughs> <laughs> the uglier it is, the better it is for you a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. So, okay. Um, earlier, when we, before we started the recording, you were talking about intermittent fasting and how yeah. you're fasting right now. I have no idea, like, I mean, I know a little bit about it, but I don't really know why it works. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So this kind of goes with the whole overfeeding and underfeeding concept. When you have a surplus of energy or calories in your body, um, your, your body tends to respond by thinking that it's a time of surplus. It's a time of excess, which means that your cells can divide. They'll divide readily. Um, you'll grow. On the flip side, when you don't have enough food, your body tends to focus on regeneration. Um, it, instead of um, taking cells and dividing them, it'll focus on any cells that are, that are damaged or could use some help. It'll go in and, and try to focus its energy on rebuilding those because it knows, your body knows or assumes that it isn't a time of plentiful food. So it should focus on restoring itself. So when you're fasting, that's exactly what it's doing. It also, like a really interesting effect of fasting is that most pathogens, a lot of um, the bad stuff that you'll find in your body that'll make you sick, um, they feed and use glucose as a main source of fuel. Cancer does, does the same thing. Exact same thing. So, Diabetes, so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when you start, you're essentially starving the body for a short term of glucose by not eating any carbs or protein. What that's doing is allowing your body to, uh, number one, repair itself, and number two, you're starving all of the bad stuff in your body that runs on glucose, um, which can't, like as a large organism, we can survive for you know, 24 hours, even you know, weeks on end without food in some cases, whereas these tiny little bugs can't. They'll die off. Your body can fight them. Um, so that's one of the effects, uh, or a couple of the effects that's, that's really effective for um, just general health. And then of course there's fat loss. Whenever you um, compress your eating window or when you skip a meal, you're eating less energy. When you eat less energy, um, especially and you, you cycle it up and down, it becomes much, uh, much easier to reduce your body fat or maintain a lower uh, amount of body fat like, like I do today. And so, yeah, I'm fasting right now. Um, most days I have a compressed eating window, so I'll um, you know, people say 16-8, that's kind of like uh, something that people recognize for if they've read uh, Lean Gains or The Perfect Health Diet from Paul Jaminet. Um, 
let's see, Dave, Dave Asprey, the Bulletproof Executive, talks about it. I talk about it a lot. Basically, what that means is skipping breakfast and eating um, your lunch as your first meal of the day and then your dinner and then not eating um, late at night. So generally what it looks like for me is I won't eat until about um, between noon and 2 o'clock and usually I'll have my last meal around 7 o'clock. And uh, so when I first wake up in the morning, I'll eat, I either won't eat something or I'll eat just fat because like I said before, when you eat fat, it's kind of benign within your body. It doesn't um, raise your blood sugar or uh, have any effect of, of feeding the bad pathogens in, in your body. So what are some fats that you're eating if you're eating that first thing in the morning? So this might sound kind of weird if you haven't heard of this before. But, um, a lot I'll of the have... things you're saying have, are weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm not afraid of dabbling in the fringe and trying things that, are, that sound totally bizarre, and most people think I'm insane, but it's also a lot of fun. <laughs> and I, uh, it's, it's really increased my bio, biomarkers of health. So one thing that you can do just quickly uh, while you're fasting is eating just fat because that allows you to get some amount of calories in but you're still getting a lot of the benefits from fasting. So I call it a fat fast, which is what I do in the morning. Um, and so in my coffee, uh, a lot of times I'll have heavy cream, which doesn't really have protein or carbs. It's, it's pretty much pure fat. Sometimes I'll have um, grass-fed butter in here, as well as coconut oil or palm kernel oil or uh, medium-chain triglycerides, which are basically short or medium-chain fats, which your body can utilize and your brain can utilize um, as ketones, as fuel, uh, in a similar way that you'd use glucose. And so when I have that in the morning, I feel like an absolute rock star. In fact, that's, it's uh, coming up on 1 o'clock here in Austin, and that's all I've had today. I haven't eaten anything yet except for my butter, heavy cream, and medium-chain triglycerides in my coffee. Absolutely delicious. Sounds weird, but I love it, and it's something I do almost every day. I was going to say, how often and how much you do it? Yeah. Every day, I, huh? Not every single day. It's something that I've been doing for the past few months, and I really enjoy it, and um, it gives me plenty of mental energy throughout the day. For those of people who have heard of uh, Bulletproof Exec, um, my friend Dave Asprey, he's the one who kind of like pop popularized the idea of using butter in the coffee, um, and he calls it Bulletproof Coffee, and I totally jive on that. So you can add chocolate powder to it, vanilla. Um, you can get creative as long now as you're... Now you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can make it delicious as long as you don't make it into like coffee crack like, <laughs> and just chug it all day because that, uh, like I said, chugging butter all day is not going to do much for you when it comes to getting lean. Understood. So as we wrap up, Abel, um, what are some projects that you're working on and how can people get a hold of you if they want more information? Sure. So you can go to fatburningman.com. That's where uh, you can find my show as well as all the articles that I've written uh, in the blog. And let's see, I have a bunch of stuff coming up, but I have a few cookbooks. There's a gluten-free desserts cookbook on my website. Um, I've done Caveman Feast with my friend George Bryant, who's the civilized caveman, um, which a lot of people are, are loving that. We're running a, a sale right now on, on Caveman. I have that so cookbook, can, and yeah, I that's right. <laughs> so excited. I finally got all the ingredients to start, and I mean, all the recipes look beautiful, and I just can't nice. wait to try it. So. Awesome. Yeah, I, I cook from it all the time. It's, it's a wonderful 
uh, like George is just a master of, of the kitchen and a great guy too. And so then if you're looking for my fat loss stuff, um, I have the lean body fat loss system, which is like a 30 day approach using my template, the wild diet, um, to make sure that you can lose fat in a short period of time, but hopefully build some lifestyle habits along the way. And then I also have my, uh, my coaching program where you can get email coaching and webinars as well as video training and audio training, um, on how to lose fat and build healthy habits that last a lifetime as well as some uh, effective exercise strategies in there too. So I'm not a hard guy to find. Just uh, type my name into Google or go to fatburningman.com and and join the mailing list and get plenty of free stuff or check out my books too. Cool. Well, thanks so much for your time, Abel, and sharing what you know with us. It's been uh, an interesting show. I learned a ton (laughs) and uh, a lot of things that I for me to ponder. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I appreciate your time, and I'm sure we'll be in touch again soon. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed the show. That was Abel James from FatBurningMan.com. All the links and resources mentioned today are in the show notes at DrAnn.com slash 012. And Anne is spelled A-N-H as in healthy, which you should know by now. (laughs) While you're there, remember to hop on the Food as Medicine VIP email list and you'll get my free gift, The Clean Eating Rules. It's everything that I learned about nutrition when I was on my bodybuilding journey, and it's my number one guide for how to eat to lose weight, improve your biometrics, and get more energy. You'll also get my favorite pearls from the show. This is where if you're multitasking and you are jogging or you're in the garden or you're, I don't know, doing the laundry and you're listening to the show and you just don't have time to jot down notes of all the great pearls that are shared by the guest, then I've taken the notes for you and all you need to do is hop on the list and they will be delivered right to your inbox and you can refer back to them at any time. And finally, as an email subscriber, you'll get the occasional love letters from me, which are emails sharing some of my favorite recipes and products, upcoming events, new information, etc., And I'm only going to send these emails occasionally. If I could handwrite these messages, I would. But they're meant to be uh, sent out only when I'm really excited about something that I can't wait to share with you. So um, hop on my email list, drann.com, and you'll get my love letters as well. Did you like the episode? Then leave us a review and tell all your friends, because the world needs to hear the Food as Medicine message. We've got plenty of great guests coming up, so stay tuned. Thanks so much for stopping by, and until next time, remember to eat consciously, because the world needs a healthy and vibrant you.